Good morning, Disciples Church. Good to see you. Merry Christmas. This is uh, a special time of year. And if you're just visiting with us, I want to say welcome. It's a joy to have you with us here today. And I pray that you would feel like family sooner than later. Um, It's Christmas time, which means it's a joyful time to come together to celebrate the birth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for Stephen Obert, a stellar sermon that he preached last week on uh, the advent of lasting love. Um, Today, we are looking to the third emphasis of Advent, as the Knott family read for us earlier in the lighting of the candle, and that is peace. Advent literally means the arrival of, the coming of. And so, today, As we look to Jesus' birth, as we look to another part of the Christmas narrative and Holy Scripture, we see the arrival of lasting peace. Have you ever stopped to think about what you're asking when you ask someone, how are you? How are you? Have you ever stopped to ponder the common but pretty weak answer we most often give. Fine. I'm fine. In Hebrew, a very common greeting among the Jewish people, equivalent to our how are you, is the, question, is the, the phrase ma It literally means, how is your shalom? Or how is your peace? It is, if you were to translate our question, how are you, in Hebrew, it would be ma shalomka. How is your shalom? So I'm going to ask you again this morning, I want you to really think about it. How are you? How is your shalom? How is your peace? What is ironic to me is that during the season whereby annually we gather to celebrate the arrival of the living God who took on flesh to bring his people true and lasting peace, we often in this season of the holidays have the least amount of peace we have all year long. Think about Christmas time. Think about all the shipping, the decorating. All the gatherings, all the calendar events, all the cooking, all the wrapping, all the hiding, all the getting sick, the raking of all those leaves, trying to wrap up the year's work business or your family finances. It gets a little crazy this time of year, doesn't it? There's so much to do, right? Meditate on this, though, with me today as we prepare to dive into God's Word. The gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't say, do. It says, it has been done. While you think about that, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for this place that you provided. The the warmth of working heaters and insulated walls. The the comfort of a cushioned chair and um, the blessing of family. And even more special than that, blood-bought family that surrounds us. You have done an amazing thing in our rebellion against your glory and against your ways in our perpetual sin in our ongoing blasphemy betrayal of your glory you sent the one and only son God the son to take on flesh to live A life for your glory perfectly. To die in the place of 
a most undeserving people. To conquer death, the mighty resurrection, and to faithfully intercede for us day by day until we too are in glory with you forever. We look forward to the new heavens and the new earth, to life without drama and sin and murder and cheating and unfaithfulness. I pray in the midst of this wartime reality, of this sin-sick world, that today we would do real business with your Holy Scriptures, that the Holy Spirit would do complete and real business with each of us, that we would truly know and rest in lasting peace, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Speak boldly this morning, Holy Spirit. Let your word be mighty in our ears. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In all the busyness, and forget with me for a moment about all the to-dos, and all the get-dones, and all the have-to-proves, what about the just getting through? I mean, be honest with me for a moment as you consider these things. Many of you are in a real hard place this Christmas. Maybe you've been looking for work and you just can't find a job. Maybe, maybe you're truly desperate for genuine, real friends. Maybe the kids just aren't getting it. Maybe you are working really hard to pay the bills and to stay afloat. Maybe you had to say goodbye to a dear loved one lately. Maybe your health is just not good lately. Maybe maybe you're just overworked, just tired. So how in all of this do we truly experience lasting peace? The answer today is Jesus. The answer is the only one who could bring true and lasting peace despite our circumstances. Turn with me to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 7. I want to give you a little bit of context first in Isaiah 7. If you don't have a Bible, we we have them there in the back for you. We'd love for you to get in the practice of bringing your Bibles. And maybe you're guilty of bringing your Bible, but you never actually open it. I'd encourage you to do that um, and get familiar with where these scriptures are in God's holy word. A little bit of context for what I'm about to read in Isaiah chapter 7. This is 735 years before Jesus is born. There's a prophecy given about his birth. To give you a a broad idea of the setting, God's people are in the, the latter end of what we call the kingdom era. King David's son rules in what has been a mostly strong and righteous season of rule. Just before he dies, he begins to spiritually drift. And this causes the roots of the entire kingdom to be unhealthy. And upon his death, this large united kingdom of 12 tribes erupts into civil war, which divides the northern and the southern kingdoms. 200 years later, and 12 kings later, King Ahaz is on the throne and in the middle of great unrest in the kingdoms. Ahaz was in his early 20s, Best we know, he's known to be an awful king. Uh, Ahaz was being advanced on by the northern kingdom, who had it in mind to conquer them, kill their people, take their land and crops. 
In Isaiah chapter 7, we find Ahaz frantically looking for help and essentially goes to God to look for a sign, some kind of assurance that they're going to make it through this, some peace in the midst of the storm. So Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we hear God's response to Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah. Look with me. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Can you picture with me what Ahaz must have been thinking when he heard this news? The entire livelihood of his kingdom is upside down. It's about to get really worse. He's looking to God for a sign, for help. And God tells him, here's what I'm going to do. A baby's going to be born to a virgin. (laughs) Now wait, hold on. Virgins don't have babies, but let's just set that huge reality aside okay how about a baby being born how is a baby being born an answer to all of this chaos that I'm in the middle of it'd be like you you need a job really bad this Christmas and and you go to God and God sends you a prophet and and tells you that your second cousin is going to get a pink hooded sweatshirt for Christmas And you're like, no, that doesn't help me. (laughs) He's got to be thinking, that's not a sign. It doesn't give me peace. And and I think, if we're honest, when it comes to Christmas, even if you're well-practiced, many times we can feel a little like Ahaz upon hearing this news. God, I need some hope. I need some peace. Please, God. And many of you might relate to this today. In the midst of all that you might be going through, the church spends this entire holiday season talking about a baby that was born 2,000 years ago. And if some of you are really honest, you're thinking, really? That's what's supposed to bring me real peace? In the midst of all that I'm going through. Hear me real quick. The birth of Christ. The baby in the manger. The truckloads of prophecies that are fulfilled hundreds of years later in Jesus' birth. All that God is doing in Jesus' birth is not meant to just be a historical event. The arrival of Jesus, the arrival of the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the royal redeemer, the one who will be victory over eternal death and suffering, a victory only able to be brought through him is everything to you and me. Trust me. You you can't stop and respond like Ahaz and to say, if that's it, then I'm out. We have to go deeper. So fast forward 735 years, the time of Christ's birth, the reality is, times in that day were not much better for the Israelites. And there is really a reoccurring theme throughout history as long as man can rebel and sin and cheat and hurt and defame. Talking often with many of you in the midst of hardship and that fleshly thing in us that wants to just cry out to God and go, God, can this just all go away? We have to remember the promise of the new heavens and the new earth. That a time is coming when it all goes away. And that time will last forever. But in the meantime, God has ordained you and I to live and to testify 
and to endure these days for his glory. Amen? Turn with me now to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are your four Gospels. <clears throat> As you turn there to Luke, chapter 1, the setting is this. Augustus Caesar rules in Rome. And what that really meant in that day was that he ruled over much of the developed world. Uh, Caesar ruled hard and fast with an iron fist from Rome. In Israel, where Jesus was born, uh, was a group of people who were down and out, marginalized, living under the hard hand of Caesar. The reason why I tell you all this is during the time of Caesar, I mean, just dominating and ruling hard, there was this concept of, of developing of the Messiah coming to, to bring peace to God's people, but they, they looked at it more of just the horizontal and just that moment of time. And you got around 4 BC, Caesar decrees the, the Pax Romana. You have um, essentially him saying, if you don't agree with me, if you don't do it my way, I'm just going to kill you. And you do it my way, then you'll have peace. We begin to taste a little bit of what it was like to be a Jew in this time. King Herod, who's locally ruling over the region we're about to focus in on at Christ's birth, he's a totally wicked king, regularly killing people he didn't like, even his own kids, he, throwing lavish and licentious sinful parties, Stealing money from Caesar, taxing the Jewish people, some, some would say up to 70-80% of their income. He's prideful, had the Herodian stadium, stadium built that sat 300,000 people. No regard or interest for any of the Jewish laws or practices, customs. So life as a Jew in this season is is hard. Hard like we don't know. Major struggle. Oppressive leaders implementing hard rules and mandates. So this gives us just a little bit of context for what a young virgin girl who was prophesied about 735 years before was going through as we now dive into the text of Luke chapter 1. Look with me at verse 26 through 30. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed, engaged, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So Mary's a teenage girl, committed to Joseph to be married in preparation for her wedding. She's visited by an angel of the Lord. Now, any of us at the presence of an angel of the Lord would be freaked out. But, but notice... She's not troubled at the presence of the angel of the Lord. She's troubled at what he says, at his announcement. And what did he say? That she is favored and that the Lord is with her. What I love about Mary's response here is what it reveals about her heart for God. An angel just told her that she's highly favored and that God is with her. When we do business with that in, in quick passing, we go, oh, that's good news. But, but, but slow down with me for a moment and look at this through her lens. Realize the way the Jewish people thought about God's presence was in the tabernacle. The Holy of Holies, where the high priest could go on their behalf. 
So these are not casual words for Mary. The concept or the thought of God being with her or near her, being favored by God, are not words that Mary took lightly. They overwhelmed her. It rocked her. And here's the point, church. It should rock us too. She was blown away at the thought that God would draw near her. And is that not what we celebrate at Christmas? The incarnation. God the Son taking on flesh and dwelling among us. Drawing near making himself manifest in a way he never had before. Emmanuel. That the name given to the promised Messiah 735 years before in Isaiah 7.14 means God with us. What life-altering, profound power And peace is it to consider the fact that the living God of all things, the ruler of all things, has chosen to draw near us. Not only does he draw near, but he has a plan for us, a provision for us, as he did for Mary as well. Look with me further at verse 31 and 30 through 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. We also see this similar announcement in the life-altering news that Joseph was given. Steve referenced this in his sermon last week. I want to mention it again. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, 18-25. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When the mother Mary had betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us, Isaiah 7.14. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Church, we serve a huge God who knows no bounds. He is able. He does and will do what is best for His eternal purposes. No situation is above God's pay grade. And I pray that you would come to know the true and lasting peace of God because you know the One who has all things in His grip. The reality is, You will only know true and lasting peace if you really know God in the true and vast way that He is. If God is small and limited in your mind, you will worry and you will doubt. But if God is big and sovereign over it all, then you will lean not on your own understanding but trust in Him 
and you will know true peace. Now we're faced with some unfathomable news about Mary. A teenage girl is told that she will conceive and have a child, even though she is a virgin. But that's impossible, right? Luke chapter 1, 34 through 37, we continue. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. A barren and very aged woman who by all medical understanding is unable to bear a child, conceived a child. And a girl who remains a virgin also conceives a child outside of the economy of how a child is conceived by God's design. His holy and perfect interruption to make his plan come to fruition. Nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe this? It's important, church, that we don't just cling in that question or thought to what God can do. Because it's bigger than that. Don't make God the means to another end. It is important that we cling to who He is. That God in and of Himself is worthy of your praise and your trust. Look at Mary. Surely in Mary's life, this news is not the peace she's looking for. I and mean, we've got to step back and look at her situation. Because often what you and I get caught up in when we think of peace is we think of circumstantial betterment. That my circumstances will get better, and then peace. But that's not true and lasting peace. True and lasting peace is found in God and who God is in you despite your circumstances. And look at how Mary experiences this. Consider her situation. The unrest of her people we've talked about. Incredibly high taxation under Caesar. Hatred and brutality of Herod as he ruled over them in that region. The military force that Rome, and, that Rome applied to the Jewish people was truly oppressive. Considered an unplanned pregnancy of a teenage girl who's engaged to be married by tradition, her pledged spouse would divorce her. That's the language used to end a betrothal, to end an engagement. Oh, what does this mean for, for her wedding plans? You don't mess with the girl's wedding plans. I mean, can you imagine what the town begins to say as she begins to show? And what does she say? Hey, guys, don't worry about it. An angel visited me. This is God's baby. Come on, Mary. Just admit it. You're a floozy. Why don't you just leave? Right? And there are so many reasons for Mary to be freaking out right now. But listen carefully to her response. A scared teenage girls in the midst of an oppressive upbringing and arranged marriage news that would rip a young girl's social life utterly apart. She says in Luke 1.38, Mary said, Behold, 
I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In the midst of all of life's chaos, on the heels of more chaotic news, she's at peace. Not because her circumstances have all of a sudden gotten better. They've gotten worse. Why is she at peace? Because of who God is. She's experiencing a great harmony with God, even in the midst of the storm. Consider the the curveball still coming her way. She's got to go on a 100-mile donkey ride. Pregnant ladies, consider this. To another another city, to another region, to, to, to fulfill some political paperwork. And we kick and scream for a week to drive to the DMV. <laughs> to give birth in the most unclean presence of the most unpleasant smell, some kind of animal cave or presence of livestock. But she's at peace. And but before we look at why, three, three things particularly I want to point out. Can you just be honest with me for a moment and take inventory? When you've been up to here with the chaos, with the hardship, with it coming at you, you just say, I can't take it anymore. Did you cling to who God is and who you are in him? And be faithful to him as he's called you to be? Or did you change your circumstances to try to feel a little better about life? Three reasons why I think we see Mary have real peace in the midst of her circumstances, even getting worse. And why she didn't say, hey, no, that's cool. You pick someone else. Susie would be great. Number one, Mary had a very high view of God. Look at just a few more verses down. Listen to her heart as she sings out to God these words in Luke 1, 46 through 51. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Now, listen to the divine insight she's about to share. In the midst of the incredible power that's over her in the region and rule of Rome. Verse 52 through 55. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Her soul magnifies the Lord, rejoices in God and his holy name and his mighty power. There's a lot of things in our sin that we rejoice in. But Mary's heart is fixed on God. She sees him as holy. She sees him as worthy. She sees him as mighty over all things. And in this, in who he is, she has peace. Because she has a healthy and high view of God. Church, we must be growing in our view of who God is. 
I've come to see that it's one of the most practical helps we as a church are offering you. That in our midweek gathering once a week for a number of years, we're not doing practical how to have a better this or do that or attack this like many churches might get caught up in doing like we've done in the past. We're committed to faithful study of who God is and how he works and what he's called us to be and to do. Because what I've seen is with that under your belt, so much of everything else begins to come together. And when we leave that out and try to just stay on the pragmatic and the horizontal, it takes you way too long for some a lifetime to ever get to really knowing what this kind of peace is because you are so impotent in your view of who God is. We're not meeting for midweek for three more weeks. We're going to take a little Christmas break. But uh, the first week of January, after New Year's, we'll be back. So for those of you who have not made a commitment to be part of that, you may consider talking with us in the coming weeks about what it looks like to get plugged in. I pray you do. Church, if peace is going to be real in our hearts and minds, so must our God be huge. We must decrease, and He must increase. Number two, Mary surrendered to the will of God. Look at verse 38 again. (coughs) Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I love this. I mean, how guilty are we when we get someone, like the boss tells you to do something, and you're even like talking back to him, like, what about, hey, I could do this instead, or instead of joyfully going, you're the boss, and I'm the employee, and it's my joy to do it. And yet, how much bigger this is, because it involves all of her life. I am the servant of the Lord, she says, let it be to me according to your word. If you were in charge of your life and have truly not surrendered to God all things, that means you're still trying to hold on to the controls. And no wonder why you don't have any peace. No wonder why you're freaking out. Mary has the opportunity to doubt God, to make excuses, to run away, to look at how utterly ill-equipped she is, how incapable she might have felt. But she didn't. She surrendered herself. How are you at surrendering to God's will, to God's word, to God's plan for your life? Surrender so that He is the true authority in your life. That you don't come up with your own way to handle that situation. You are faithful to His as hard as it is for you. Mary models a life that is truly surrendered to God, truly yielding to His will. Let it be to me according to your word, she says. Jesus later models the same kind of surrender to the Father facing the cross, saying, not my will, but yours be done. Third, Mary embraced the good news of Jesus. The good news of the promised Messiah's arrival and his forever reign. Hear the testimony of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in these words. Luke 1, 31-33, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. To Joseph, the angel says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Truth. 
true and lasting peace comes to one who knows that they've truly been saved from their greatest problem and secured to the forever kingdom of the Lord God. We must understand that we are powerless for peace by ourselves. We are powerless for peace because of sin. This is why we need a Savior. Man's power produces idolatry, and we over-elevate the things of creation. That's sin. Sin is idolatry. When my relationships, my stuff, my status, my success are more important to me than God is, that's sin. We have to understand, when these things are so important to me, I will stress to keep them in order. To keep them from breaking down. The problem is my relationships, my stuff, my status, my success, my health. It all is breaking down. It all does have an end. Psalm 38.18 I am full of anxiety because of my sin. Man does not have the power not to stress, not to worry, because man is sinful. Because when I value the things that God created more than God, I'm in sin. And when that stuff breaks down, I'm full of anxiety and stress. But the good news of the arrival of Jesus, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Do you see how we get to lasting peace? Because he came to deal with my sin. There is no true or lasting peace in the world without the Prince of Peace. There is no true or lasting peace in your life without the Prince of Peace. For to us, a child is born. To us, A son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Prince of Peace. The Hebrew phrase for Prince of Peace is Sar Shalom. Sar means the one in charge, the chief, the captain, the boss. It's where the Romans developed their title for Caesar, Caesar. Shalom means true peace, not fleeting, not, super, not superficial, but, but real rest. The greeting the Hebrews would give to one another reflected their, their true hopes for one another. When you, when you meet a Jewish person, they speak to you Hebrew, they they say, they say shalom to say hello, and they say shalom to say goodbye. But the only way we have true and lasting shalom is the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. He is the captain of rest, He is the chief of completeness. The Lord of wholeness, the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you serve him? You and I can't overcome our adultery or sin on our own. We need a power greater than ours to consume our sin and to give us true peace. Hear me today, the power for true and lasting peace is the God of peace. Our modern culture's idea of peace is the absence of conflict or war. We we think of peace as emotional tranquility. The peace we often end up hoping for is circumstantial. When they get along, peace. Peace. When she apologizes to me, peace. When the bills are paid, 
peace. When my boss leaves me alone, peace. But understand that that is all an outside, circumstantial peace. It's not the kind of peace that is lasting. It's not the kind of peace that arrives in Christ. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. John 14, 27. When Jesus says to you and I, he's leaving us peace. He's not saying I'm leaving you a world without war or without chaos or without conflict. He's saying because of my life and my death and my resurrection, I'm leaving you shalom, holistic peace that will, that will bring life and endurance into you in the midst of that chaos and war and loss and hardship. He's saying, I am peace. Christ's arrival means the gift of true shalom. You can't have true and lasting peace if you don't have the Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what he did on the cross in the place of his people. Listen. Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The reason why Mary had true peace is that her very soul received the good news of the child who would set her free from sin and would rule forever on David's throne over the house of Jacob. Despite how hard her circumstances were. My question for you this, in this third week of Advent 2018 Will you trust in the one and the only one who can give you true and lasting peace? This Christmas, in the midst of all the chaos, will you receive the arrival of lasting peace? Jesus Christ. Trust your life to him. Surrender to him as Savior and Lord. Next week, we will look at the angel's visit to the shepherds. I want you to take note of what they say that starry night. Take note that the true and lasting peace of God is not for the entire world. Like all the Miss America contestants have always hoped for. You realize peace on earth, all these songs at Christmas, they're about peace on earth from a secular point of view, will never happen until the new heavens and the new earth. It's actually going to get a lot worse. And the only way you know true peace is to be one of his. Listen to what the angel said that night. Luke 2.14 Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. If you pridefully, arrogantly, think you will turn away from the Messiah and stand in your own and find your own way, the love of God, reconciliation with God, is not your reality. But instead, do you is the hatred of God, the wrath of God. The peace of God is for those with whom he is pleased. And you will never be able 
to please him apart from the work of Jesus Christ in your place. Amen? Lord, I pray for everyone in this room. I pray for their souls. Lord, I, I, I pray for loved ones who we hold dear. Who for whatever reason continue to reject this good news. And we acknowledge the, the teachings of your scriptures that, that you ultimately are over salvation. So we know we cannot force it. We know that you have ordained it before time. And yet you've called us to pray. And so for those who are unsaved, we pray. And we surrender to you. And we yield them to you. But we ask this day that you'd save them. You'd open up dead hearts and just break them with the good news of the gospel that they would just finally lay down lordship of their own life and yield to you. That if they're hung up, Lord, with something in particular, that they would do business with that. They would ask questions. They would plead. They would dig in. And not just get busy with their days. May it be so, Lord. And thank you, thank you, thank you for the gift of lasting peace. Oh, where would we be in the midst of this horrific, war-torn, sinful place? God, we just have no hope, no real love, no lasting peace without you without salvation in Jesus Christ. And so I thank you for those who are saved and set free, that if we have business to do with how we've played light with these things, that we'd repent, we'd confess it. We'd we'd take up a new course of practice, of prayer, of pursuing these things for your glory and others' good. May the testimony of true and lasting peace be bright in your people this Christmas. We join with the angels to sing and celebrate you, the holy God. In Jesus' name we pray.